welcome to the Better Being Podcast with Greg Stark and Ali Orr. This is a podcast that dives into the four pillars of performance, movement, mindset, nutrition, and mental health. We speak with experts, find real-life case studies and helpful anecdotes, and we do our best to learn more about optimizing human performance. All right, welcome back to the Better Being Podcast. Today we are graced with the presence of Beck Mitchell, who is a corporate wellness consultant. She's basically a corporate wellness professional, really up there, love her work. And I'd love, Beck to get started if you can give us a little bit of a background on how you ended up doing this for a job. Uh, Of course. So essentially, I started my career as a physio. So I worked down in Melbourne as a physio, mostly in the sports world for the first seven years of my career. And I did love it, but I'm like not a sporty person myself, despite working in wellbeing. So I decided that the corporate world was a bit more me. And I also felt this kind of level of frustration at the fact that all of these athletes had access to all this incredible, you know, information around their diet and psychology. And they had the top orthopedic surgeons, but we've got people running our country and looking after our kids, like teaching them everything in school and running our corporate organizations. And they don't have that same access to information. So that's kind of what motivated me to get into the corporate space. And then I've been working in that that world for the last three years and I've also just started my Masters of Neuroscience and Psychology because I just love that whole mental well-being side of things as well. Wow that's super interesting. So um, what what made you jump so what were you doing in the physio space that made you really jump into corporate like was there a, a, a defining moment for you? I don't, I think it was like a bit of a lifelong journey of like physio was probably never really for me. I'm just, you know, I'm not an athletic person. I went into sports because it was like the hard thing to get into and I always love a challenge. And I think, you know, just working all day and pretending like I had to read the Herald Sun in the morning and try and like get on top of the AFL scores so I'd have some good banter during the day. I was kind of like living (laughs) this life of someone that I just was not. And it's quite exhausting after a while. So I think just gradually over time, I was like, look, I think I've you know, proceeded with this longer than I should have. And so I was just looking at your options. And as a physio, it's surprisingly, it's quite niche. And so it is quite hard to get out of it without having to go away and like start a completely new career path. And I knew I loved the well-being side of it, but I just didn't really love the, not I didn't love them, but it probably wasn't as uh, uh, similar to me, I guess, the people that I was working with. Yeah, cool. That's really interesting. Hey, how we just sort of gravitate towards certain groups of people. And it seems like you've really found um, the type of people that you want to work with. My question that I have for you is what do you think is the biggest challenge that corporates face with health and well-being? What do you find is like the most challenging thing about it? I think probably the biggest thing, I mean, from my perspective is that a lot of what we're trying to do ends up being quite token. And so I think, you know, really to implement big behavioral change, it needs to be quite an in-depth process and you need follow-up. And we don't really have that many good objective measures when it comes to testing whether or not what we're implementing is working. And a lot of it relies on subjective outcomes like questionnaires or, you know, kind of vague forms of measurement like absenteeism, presenteeism and work cover um, numbers, which isn't really that accurate. So I think that the challenge can be finding a way within people's economic boundaries to implement things that are really efficacious and are having an impact. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and do you think that uh, corporate companies are becoming more and more 
likely to start doing this stuff, implementing programs and trying to find ways to track? Are they are they more likely to do this stuff now? Yeah, I think 100%. And I'm so impressed during COVID by how that's really shifted. It's just been this really massive, like my demand for what I do has increased like probably by 100% because everyone's realizing, particularly from a mental well-being perspective, but also, you know, things as basic as posture and ergonomics at home, dodgy home desk setups is really challenging at the moment. And most corporate groups are really conscious of that and are listening to feedback from employees and so are implementing programs, even if they hadn't ever done anything like this before. So that's a really nice upside to the obvious many downsides of COVID. What do you see as some of those great themes coming through? I mean, you've mentioned posture and what what are some of the other struggles that people are having at the moment? I think sadly, and like we all know this from the you know research coming through from Beyond Blue and Lifeline, but obviously mental well-being is the most affected thing at the moment, and that's showing through with the amount of work cover claims that are mental health related, and just when companies go out and ask employees what it is that they're struggling with. It's like things like stress and anxiety and work-life balance and trying to juggle homeschooling kids at the same time as do their job. And so it's that I think the mental health piece is definitely the biggest. But then obviously like exercise can be more challenging because a lot of people aren't able to do their normal routine, go to the gym and they're forced to try and do stuff at home. And for a lot of people that shift, I'm sure you guys have probably seen this too, but that shift of trying to do stuff at home is, is quite hard for people if they've gotten into that habit of going into a gym or a class setting and then obviously like I said before ergonomics um, which is the most boring of all of the topics but I'm very passionate about the fact that it's so vital for people to be set up well to you know prevent issues with your neck and your back and all those bits and pieces so that's something too we're seeing an increase in people coming forward with aches and pains from sitting at a laptop like on their bed or on their couch all day. Yeah it's interesting and the things that you're pointed out there that obviously exercise and mental well-being and uh, I mean how closely do you see those two relating what sort of relationship do you see between I guess the physical and the the mental yeah I mean I don't think you can really separate them because the, the research is now showing obviously that they are so closely related and at the moment I think the biggest focus one of the biggest pieces of advice that I'm giving people is just to try and like move in some way every day don't put pressure on yourself to be doing some insane workout building a six-pack and getting ripped but just we know that the benefits of exercise are so massive for mental health so thinking of it more as doing it to feel better and to enhance your mood as opposed to doing it to try and achieve some sort of aesthetic goal I think can take the pressure off and also be a bit more intrinsically motivating which is really vital at the moment yeah I mean the motivation's an interesting one as well and interesting that you're studying psychology as well at the moment but how much do you think is people not knowing what to do compared to actually being able to change their behavior and how do you how do you approach that what's your take on on you know people know they need to do more exercise but obviously they've got a lot of things on their plate at the moment. How, how do you help people transition? Yeah, I think, I mean, that percentage thing is probably like 95% is that people, like 95% of people know what they should be doing and it's just like literally that it's the behavioural change piece that's really hard. And I guess my role or, you know, anyone who works in health, our role is to obviously give that education and that information. And I think empowering people with a bit more knowledge around 
how and why these things are important and if they actually understand that, that can be a bit more, again, intrinsically motivating. And then I guess practical tips or like little things that you can just be thinking. And I always say like one of my most common things that comes out of my mouth is that something is always better than nothing. And so I think changing the mindset around why you're doing things can be really helpful too. And then of course, educating people about how to actually implement behavioral change is really helpful. So like teaching them about how habits are formed and, you know, the psychology behind all of that, I think can empower people to actually stick to what it is that they want to be working on. Yeah. Yeah, There's like actually quite a lot. um, It seems like there's a lot of things that we need to do, you know, we need to educate and we need to motivate and people need to know where to start. I guess like what's the where do, you, where do you start as the professional that comes in to corporations and says, all right, guys, we're going to start being healthy now? Where do you start? What's the first thing that you think people should take control of? I think, I mean, it depends a little bit. Often it's a bit dependent on what the employer is wanting to focus on or what they feel like the biggest need is at that time. And at the moment, that is that mental health piece often. But if I were to choose, I think um, like the mindset piece or some sort of mindfulness or meditation is probably the first thing to be focusing on for most people because unless you really understand yourself and like what motivates you and you're able to notice your tendencies, which is an element of mindfulness, it's quite hard to make changes, I think. And people who are more in tune with their bodies and are more mindful and more present are more likely to notice those intrinsic things that change as a result of, say, exercise or eating better whereas if you sort of offer the varies all the time you're not very um self-actualizing it's probably less motivating when you do do these things if you're not seeing the immediate aesthetic benefit or the change in the number on the scales or whatever yeah it's really it's the the pressures of today's world where it's harder for people to i guess have that awareness of, of self and i guess what's What's the biggest thing you struggle with at the moment since everything's, I mean, it sounds like you've become very busy uh, with lots on your plate. What, what sort of things have you struggled with and how do you bring yourself to have that awareness around what's going on in your life? I think, yeah, I mean, I'm someone who doesn't naturally put myself first and so obviously like I'm really busy with work and I'm trying to study for my master's and I had some exams last weekend and so trying to juggle all of that but still do all of the things that I know are really important for my mental well-being is quite tricky and I have to constantly remind myself that it you know I'm not helpful to others if I'm not looking after myself and that's you know something that I keep repeating in my head and you know sometimes on a morning where I know I've got heaps of workshops on or I've got a lot of different sessions that I need to do and I want to maybe spend the morning prepping I'll have that tendency to want to maybe not go for a run or not meditate but I know that my ability to be productive when I am running those sessions will be so much better if I do actually do those things that I know are so important for me so that's probably my biggest challenge is the balance piece but I try and my my commitment to myself is that I always do those things first and I try not to let anything get in the way of that. So they essentially, yeah, your non-negotiables of your day. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you guys have probably got the same. Like I know you probably have crazy hours and stuff and it can be hard to like fit in your own well-being stuff. I don't know if you find that too, but I find it can be really tricky. Yeah, 100%. It's uh, when you're constantly motivating people around their well-being, it's – Often, you know, the mechanics with a bad car, you want to make sure that your, your engine's well looked after as well and uh, as you support people. Uh, I guess coming back to your physio experience as well, um, 
where do you see the relationship? Pain and injury are always fine one that's interesting and is often a barrier for people to, I guess, get active. Um, how do you see that relationship between how all those pieces fit together with pain and injury? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends a bit. Like there's obviously the differentiation between like an acute injury that often can be quite a simple process of just appropriate rest and then appropriate reloading, um, which if dealt with properly should be relatively simple and straightforward. But then obviously you get into the realm of chronic pain where people have been in pain for longer than a few months and then you get all of those brain changes associated with that and people start guarding and not wanting to do certain movements and they're scared when they try and exercise, which makes them more prone to re-injury and it becomes this really complicated cycle. And so I think like one of the biggest roles I think a physio or any person working in the physical health world is to be really reassuring about the potential for recovery because we know a lot of these, um, like particularly chronic back pain is quite iatrogenic in that a lot of it can be caused by health professionals who are over the top and like reading a scan like, oh my God, your disc is bulged right out and this is a disaster and you could be in pain for months unless you come and see me three times a week. And that hmm. creates this like fear in people's brain around moving their bodies. And so I think reassuring people that most injuries don't last that long and that it's just, and that, you know, and then teaching them that their body is safe through graduated reintroduction to movement, I think is one of the really big keys. And I think often Often can be neglected in different depending on the health professional and that sort of thing and it's kind of that old school approach of like back pain take it lying down and lie on a wooden floor for three days whereas what we know now is that movement is really the best remedy for most things yeah 100 percent. i always find it interesting the let's have a look at the the scan and see if there's a herniated disc there yep there's a herniated disc but uh at the end of the day we if we get people moving they feel better about themselves, pain decreases. It's, um, it's a very interesting relationship between those, those aspects. What about sleep? What's your, uh, what's your take on sleep? I love sleep. I am a big <laughs> fan of sleep. I go to bed at the embarrassing hour of like 8.45 every night. Um, well done. Maybe not on the weekend so much, but and admittedly I don't have kids, so I always am cautious talking about sleep. Um, if anyone with children is present because I know that's just like a whole new kettle of fish. Um, but I was just, I guess when I'm educating people, the focus is just on prioritization of sleep and enhancing the quality of sleep because it's obviously not possible for everyone to get eight hours of sleep a night due to various different factors. But as long as you are making it something that you are putting as a priority over watching like repeats of Game of Thrones on Netflix or whatever, I think that it, the impact it has on your overall ability to eat better um, and to exercise and to be more present and mindful and productive is just insane. I just think it's kind of the cure-all base foundation of health. Yeah, 100%. I'm one of those people, though, that I've just had my second child uh, recently, so uh, sleep is still a priority, but it's uh, at the disposal of uh, a small human at the moment. <laughs> but uh, it, is, it, it does influence everything. What about other parts of recovery? What, what are some of your, I mean, you mentioned uh, meditation and mindfulness what, what are some of the other practices that, that you promote when it comes to recovering well well I think I mean obviously nutrition is a big part of that and you know we know a healthy diet makes a big difference to recovery but I think also like being okay to rest is is really important and I think that balance which is really tricky because I think we've got one group of people saying 
you know, it's really important self-care, take it easy, like don't push yourself. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you might have people who need that push and who actually like most of the time are on the couch and maybe need the push to get out the door and do something. And so finding that balance between the two, I think, can be a challenge. And that's where, you know, having someone to guide you through that, I think, can be really helpful. Yeah, 100%. It's uh, accountability and having coaches to to help you manage through that yeah um, sorry, I feel like I didn't probably answer the question then but yeah really I think like rest days is really vital is kind of what I was getting at and then also probably the other part to that is um having you know some different forms of exercise that you do because obviously there's you know some people that sign up for an f45 membership and then they literally just do f45 seven days a week which is great value for your money but obviously not great for your body and so you know i'm a big fan of having a mix of of pilates and yoga and strength training and a bit of hit or whatever it is but like mixing it up so your body gets all of the benefits of all the different things rather than just picking one or the other yeah that's actually a really great Um, tip I think because a lot of us get stuck on something and you know we're not taking control of everything else you know I definitely I know I don't do enough stretching and mobility work and you're right just having different things on different days of the week is a great way to get around that Um, and so I wanted to ask you what do you do for you know what how do you stay fit and in shape and how do you look after your well-being Well, it's probably changed a bit. I used to go like to a gym and do all different classes and stuff. But since COVID, I sort of stopped, obviously, because everything closed down for a little while. And then I've kind of figured out a different routine since then. So I now, I generally run probably three days a week and I'm a terrible runner. I don't really love it, but I love how I feel afterwards. So that's my motivator. Um, And then two or three days a week, I do strength training at home. And then I try and fit in like one or two yoga sessions at home, just like with uh, online YouTube type situation. So I just try and f- listen to my body most of the time. And I have like a general schedule that I set out for myself on a Sunday of what I'm going to do each day. But if, you know, I wake up one morning and I'm feeling a bit sore or something doesn't feel right, then I often just will switch it around with something that feels more like what I need that day. And maybe it's just a walk instead of a run. And I just make the only rule to myself is that I just have to do 10 minutes of something. And then usually, you know, when you're having one of those terrible days where you just don't want to do anything, the thought of a 10 minute walk is usually not too daunting. And I just head out the door and do that. And often it ends up being a bit of a jog or a longer walk or something as well. Yeah, that's a great uh, tool. I think saying something to yourself like, oh, I just have to dedicate 10 minutes of my time seems like a way more approachable thing than saying, oh, I'm going to have to go to the gym now for a whole hour and then shower and then this and that. Like 10 minutes seems very doable. That's yeah. a great. Yeah. Is there any other rules that you have? Oh, it's a good question. I feel like I, at one time in my life, I had a lot of rules where I was like very <laughs> um, perfectionist about things that I would do. And I was like quite sure, like I went through a period where I didn't eat sugar for over a year and I had like a blog about it. It was about 10 years ago. Um, but I'm now, you know, there's a few little things that I use in my head, like done is better than perfect is another one that I try and repeat to myself, particularly with work-related stuff, because I can be a perfectionist, which results in a lot of procrastination. But I probably one of my rules is to like have less rules, because I think listening to your body and becoming just better at knowing what your body needs and, you know, whether it's meditation or eating, I'm much more kind of an intuitive eater and intuitive well-being person now than I used to be and I think that's a far more relaxed way of living and once you get the hang of it it's like probably a far more accurate way of looking after your health as well 
And have any of those rules changed over the last few months? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess I've probably had to kind of reframe how I do things, I guess. But in terms of like my overall way of living life, I've tried to keep pretty much the same. Like I think it's important to still stick with your values and what you know works for you and just you just obviously have to do that in a slightly different format like you know connection is really key for me and you know for a while obviously we haven't been able to connect as easily all of my family and friends are in Melbourne and I live in Sydney and so that's been obviously quite challenging so that's that's something that I've had to sort of rejig how I do that and, you know, setting up FaceTime calls and all those sorts of things and, you know, making sure I've got, I guess I've set myself some goals to reach out to certain people regularly to make sure I'm looking after them, but also getting that connection that I need. Yeah, social connection is a really interesting one, particularly at health and longevity and, and those sort of things. What, what are some of the other ways that you encourage people to create social connection when you've got things like Melbourne where you're in complete lockdown? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's obviously all the obvious things like making sure you do make the effort to set up Zoom calls and stuff in advance and like organise, I'm doing a dinner with my brothers on Sunday night where we're going to make hamburgers together via Zoom and like eat it together. And so for them, that's like something in their social schedule, despite the fact that they're in lockdown to hopefully, although maybe they don't look forward to it given it's with their older sister, but to sort of look forward <laughs> to um, and then I think, I mean, the other one, I talk about this a lot, but your facial expressions are still visible in a mask. And I think that people often forget that. And we know through psychology studies that people can tell whether you're smiling just from your eyes. And so I think just, just that little interaction when you're walking down the street and you pass by someone like smiling, isn't going to make you catch COVID. So I think that just that act of smiling at other people we know creates a sense of belonging and connection and also gives you a little boost of happiness so keep smiling even in a mask <laughs> it's always a good good tip that and saying hello I find as well people they talk about people in the city don't don't say hello and smile and people yeah. in the country it's it's everywhere and they always seem happier how do you think the last few months are going to change the workplace going forward when we get back to some sort of normality. How do you, what do you see the workplace of the future looking like? Oh, it's so fascinating, isn't it? I've read a lot on all of this. I find it all really interesting. It feels a bit like Black Mirror, like the potential future. Um, I guess, I mean, the obvious piece is that a lot more people will be working from home and which brings a lot of flexibility with it, which has a lot of positives to it. But obviously, you know, we've just been speaking about connection and that's something that's going to need to have more of a focus within corporate culture if, you know, potentially two-thirds of the office are working from home at any one time. And, you know, even we know that even as people are going back into the offices in Sydney, there's like other health considerations like making sure that people are distanced enough from one another with their desks due to regulations and there's some issues. I know I used to work for Pinnacle Health Group and they have wellness centres within some of the big corporates and obviously like you know, there's a lot of considerations around a wellness centre at the moment within a corporate space that means that a lot of them aren't fully functioning yet because there's not enough staff there to fill them, which means that staff don't have access to some of those amazing services. So I think there will be a lot of changes and I think most people are still trying to figure out what that's going to look like. And obviously we don't know how this virus is going to progress and the whether or not a vaccine will be available. So it'll be interesting, I think, to see how it folds out. What do you guys think? a really good question uh look i think you know we're not just in the middle of a 
uh, economic tragedy. It's a health pandemic that we're in, and I think that that's made people a lot more conscious about their health and their their behaviours, and it's been well publicised about mental health. And so I think organisations have no choice but to now genuinely prioritise the health and wellbeing of their staff. I think previously a lot of organisations would love to say, you know, we we value our staff's wellbeing, um, but I think now with the current environment they're going to have to. And I think the other part to that as well is um, creating that connection to, like you said, culture and, and social connection. Um, companies are going to have to work a lot harder in terms of how are they creating those those feelings and those levels of engagement and well-being is a fantastic way for companies to achieve that. So I think that there's there's so many benefits that uh, is going to happen off the back of it in in the health and well-being space. But there's a silver lining to all of this at least. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> all right. Well, I'd love to um, get stuck into our little quick fire round if that's okay with you. My um, first question, which I love to ask, is what do you think is the biggest misconception in health and well-being? Because there's a lot of them, right? I know. God, I could talk all day. I was literally just writing this, like, ragey post on Facebook under someone who'd advertised one of those, like, vibration devices to give you a perky buttock, and I was, like, in this absolute (laughs) fit of rage. So I guess pseudoscience or, like, you know, people making money out of things that don't actually work well or aren't the optimal thing for people's health would be one thing. But I think probably my biggest bugbear or the thing that I wish that most people knew is that it's not all or nothing. And and for me, it was, I think that's how I viewed health um, earlier on in my career. And I've come to realize through dealing with thousands of different people and their issues, that it's just not like that. And that the best way to be healthy is, even though it's not sexy, it's through moderation. And, you know, you don't need to cut things out completely, go on crazy diets, do a boot camp seven days a week. Like it's about finding out what you can do, like the, the bare minimum that you can do to feel your best and where you can still live a lifestyle that you enjoy. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. When people start to realise finally that they don't have to be miserable eating broccoli and chicken every day, Um, it's, you know, really nice. I love broccoli. (laughs) I like broccoli when it's it's like smeared in honey and, you know, when they make it really delicious in a restaurant. Miso and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, so my next question, what are you really excited about right now in relation to like health and wellbeing? I think I'm most excited and obviously there's a really big downside to the reason that I'm, that this is happening, but it's just really wonderful that the conversation around mental health is so much more prominent now. I think really in the last like probably two to five years, it's just really exploded. And unfortunately that's because more and more people are struggling with it and particularly during the pandemic. But I think that it's something that people have suffered with quietly for years and years and years. And finally it's becoming okay to really discuss that and people, celebrities are coming out and like AFL players are coming out, rugby players and like people we previously perceived as, you know, people that wouldn't talk about their emotions are coming out. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's the silver lining, like you were saying, you know, it's a, it's a terrible situation we're in, but there are definitely positives that we can take from it. So yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. 
All right. Next question. Book, podcast, or a resource that you would recommend or something you are really enjoying? It doesn't have to be health-related, something you just love, whatever you've got. Um, I have so many. I love books and podcasts. I The book, I would say, would be um, Viktor Frankl's book, which I really love, A Man's Search for Meaning, and I think it's something that's a really nice read at a time like this. Um, he was a psychiatrist who was in Auschwitz and he survived and came out and immediately wrote this book that's all about like his perception of man's search for meaning and what life is all about and some advice around how purpose is really the key to happiness and stuff. And I think it's a really beautiful read. It's quite old now, but it still remains relevant today. Um, and podcast, I love Sam Harris's Making Sense podcast, which I find to just be a really nice, like, rational point of view in a world that's pretty crazy right now. <laughs> yeah. Do you um, do you like his uh, meditation app? Yeah, I use that most days. I usually meditate twice a day, and one of my meditations I'll do is his style of meditation, which is a little bit – have you tried it? I have, but couldn't get into it. So please sell it to me. Yeah, it's interesting. I would recommend reading his book about it called Waking Up first. Um, I read that and then I ended up on the basis of that going and doing a 10-day Vipassana silent meditation retreat um, and then started his app, which is not Vipassana style of meditation, but I think I just find it's more relevant to daily life, that's his style of meditation. And I find with practice, like I've probably been doing it for six months now, I would say, and you do just start to realize like in everyday life that you're just more, much more conscious of what it is to be conscious, which sounds like a bit of a funny hippie type of thing, but it really is, you know, he's a neuroscientist, as you probably know, so it really is based on science and I, I think it really opens up your eyes to living life with far more awareness. Did you say you went on a 10-day silent meditation retreat? I did, yes. It was about wow, how was that? Away. It was like probably the most quiet. intense experience of my life. It was definitely very quiet. Um, and you meditate for 12, and oh no, I think it's 14 hours a day, and you fast from 12 p.m. onwards. So it's like quite a full-on experience. But definitely, it definitely helped my meditation journey, and I do – recommend it to people and make sure you've meditated for a couple of years before you try anything like that. But it's, it's a really profound experience. I think it's something worth doing at least once in your life. Yeah, that's really intense. Greg, do you think you could do that? <laughs> uh, no, but it's, it does sound delightful. It does sound like uh, a very unique experience, but uh, I'm going to have to have a look at Sam Harris. I haven't come across him before, so I'm definitely going to. Yeah, he's an interesting, he's a philosopher and a neuroscientist. He is quite strongly atheist though, so for anyone who's religious you might find him a bit abrasive, but he's generally quite just, I find, just quite a rational mind and he explains things from a really nice scientific perspective. Yeah. All right, next question I have for you. What is something that you always do? So um, examples might be like a morning routine or if you have travel tips or something that you wish you knew earlier in relation to health and fitness? I think it's probably just that piece around like that something is always better than nothing. And I think that can be exercise. Like, you know, now, like I said before, every single day I make sure I do something. And I used to feel like if I wasn't doing like an F45 workout or a hot yoga class that it didn't 
count and it was like well what's the point in doing anything but I think my understanding around the benefits you get in your mental well-being from exercise now is enough of a motivator to make sure I just get out the door and do something and it's also you can equally apply that to mindfulness and like just sit still and like focus on your breathing for a minute set an alarm and do that if you can't fit in 10 whole minutes or with nutrition if you've had a terrible day and you've like eaten burgers for lunch and ice cream for dinner and you're like whatever like I've just written off this day don't then write the entire week off like always know that you can just still add some veggies in here and there a bit of fruit some whole grains and you be back on track like diet is not an all or nothing thing either yeah that's really great it's so important um that's a great message I really like that you're focused on that all right last question I have for you is there anyone alive we, we say alive because otherwise there's too many people to choose from, but someone alive you would like to have a conversation with and invite them to dinner and why? I often, I guess this is kind of like, a, what's it called, like a free pass as well, and I always say to my husband that I would choose either Sam Harris or Alanda Baton, who is like a British philosopher. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, um, but no. he is brilliant. He's just like this very... I think the like traditional philosophers say that he's a little bit like too modern in his approach, but I think he delivers philosophy in a really manageable way for like the everyday human. And so, and I always feel like he's kind of got an answer to all of life's problems in my mind. So I, I feel like I'd definitely be able to pick his brain. And then obviously Sam Harris for kind of a similar reason. I just really enjoy his perspective on things and I'd love to like have a really deep and meaningful chat with him. Yeah. Sounds like you have, lots of good question and ideas around this stuff so it sounds like your master's is probably exactly what you need right now learning all about this stuff yeah I'm really loving it I'm like it's all I think about all the time now I think I'm becoming a boring friend and wife to be honest no it's exciting Uh, it's been really refreshing hearing you talk about this stuff because I feel like it's not often that we you know get to talk about philosophy and meditation and all this stuff it's it's great so thanks for giving us a little bit of insight. Oh, thank you for letting me rabbit on about it all. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks, thanks so ben. much for joining us. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Better Being Podcast. If you want to learn more, follow us on social media at Better Being PT on Instagram and as Better Being on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you like what you heard, drop us a review. And until next time, stay well.